welcome to Future Out Loud from the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at Arizona State University. I'm Heather Ross. Together with Andrew Maynard, we bring you conversations with experts on and off campus where we think out loud about our collective future. In today's episode, Andrew and I sat down with new friends and colleagues from the University of New South Wales in Australia, Dr. Jai Galliott and Dr. Benjamin Turnbull. Jai is a research fellow in the School of Social Sciences in the UNSW School of Arts and Social Sciences in Sydney. And Benjamin, or Ben, is a research leader in cyber impact modeling and resilience in the Australian Center for Cybersecurity, also at UNSW, but he's in Canberra. And we talked, we started off talking about human robot trust and autonomous systems, and we talked about weapons, and we talked about autonomous vehicles, and we talked about trust and how we should or should not think about trust and human and artificial intelligence and it was a wonderful amalgamation of a lot of things that we've talked about before on the Future Out Loud podcast and it was really nice to have the philosopher, social scientist, ethicist along with the engineer, computer scientist uh, with Andrew and me which is something that you know the kind of interdisciplinary conversation that we really really like having we talked a little bit about policy. Uh, we didn't dig in too far, but just some of the thinking about some of the challenges that are inherent to the notion of constructing policy related to artificial intelligence and where do you situate that policy given that AI necessarily transcends national and international boundaries. So with that, uh, I before we turn to the episode, want to just thank you, as always, for being with us on the Future Out Loud podcast. We love to hear what you have to say, whether it's a recommendation for a topic we ought to tackle or maybe a guest we should think about having on. You can find us on our website, futureoutloud.org. You can also find us on Twitter and on Facebook at Future Out Loud. You can, of course, subscribe to the Future Out Loud podcast if you're not doing that already on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, on SoundCloud. You could leave us a comment and a rating in those places as well. We definitely like the feedback. Thank you again for listening. And now on with Ben Turnbull and Jai Galliott. Hi, Jay. Hi, Heather. Hi, Ben. Hi, Heather. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Heather. Yay, we're all here. And I love being the only American voice in the room. You're right, yes, the minority. So, well, yeah, we'll go there a different time. Um, (laughs) We were going to talk about trust and robots. To start with, yes. 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 Now, you gentlemen both do work in that area. We do indeed. Uh, so I'm a, uh, an expert on the social and ethical side of robotics, and uh, we've put together a fairly large project on uh, what it means to trust a robot, uh, particularly in the military space, because okay. uh, I should say I'm, a, I'm an Australian, uh, and uh, not to be confused with I, I'm with really you, glad you pointed that out, because uh, <laughs> it actually thrown so many people. Exactly. Um, yeah, so... The Australian government has lagged probably five to ten, maybe even fifteen years behind 
uh, behind the US. Uh, so in many ways, it's good we get to learn from from you folks. Um, but the robotic, the investment in robotics has really just kicked off, and uh, the Australian government's uh, put fifty million dollars into a massive big research centre on uh, on trust. They call it trusted autonomous systems. Interesting, right? And, and is that specifically with military applications, or is that just everywhere? Uh, look, it has applications everywhere, but right. it is funded by defence, as is typical okay. with investment so, yes. in these areas. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when they talk about trust and defence, are they talking about systems that people will trust to make the right decision, or is this sort of co-robots working with warfighters, soldiers? How, what are the boundaries here? Well, I think that probably goes both ways. What do you right. think, Ben? I mean, uh, my colleague here, Ben, uh, worked for defence science for a long time, and so I, he will have some insider information, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. So, so I do, I do automated systems for cyber defense. Right. So mm -hmm. it's one of those interesting things where people, at least in defense, don't trust robots. So if you have a, a computer telling you something and a person telling you something, they'll, they'll believe the person. person. Right. So right. it's one of those things where it's that, that balance on how much you can give mm. to an autonomous system, but then you are... So who's responsible for the autonomous system? There's all sorts of horrible, naughty questions in there. Right, so, right. So naughty with a K and O. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Just checking. So, but presumably there are, I, I can see there are many, many issues there, but I can also see a command issue where if there's hesitation, if you've got an autonomous system giving advice or giving instructions and somebody hesitates because of a lack of trust, mm -hmm. I'm assuming that's a, a huge potential vulnerability. So a lot of what they talk about is decision support. So you, right. you, it's, you know, the situational awareness, you give the right information to the right person and let them make the decision. Right. And I guess it doesn't have to be perfect, it just has to be better than what they already have, okay. which is you know, okay. minimal sometimes. So. You're right, it, it, hesitation could be a problem, but they're probably hesitating anyway. Okay, right. Well, the notion of hesitation then raises for me the question, and I have also worked in, I have a research collaborator who's a roboticist, and we have talked about human-robot trust because we're talking about you know collaborative human-robot teams. Right. If there's hesitation on the part of the human, does that erode the trust that the robot has in the human actor? Is that part of the system as well? Well, that depends how it's designed, right? But I mean, it, it more more often works the other way. Of course, we were having a discussion earlier about how, um, you know, in a military scenario, if um, you have information coming in via, and this doesn't necessarily apply to robotics, but is interesting more generally, uh, that if you have information coming in from a, a radio source, mm -hmm. and you have information on a screen, and those two sources conflict. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, Ben mentioned that uh, they're more likely to trust the uh, the radio source, so the human being, right? Um, and I made the the reference to my days working as a firefighter, paying my way through university, um, and we had both computerized systems and and uh, the audio systems, and. Uh, Whereas the military officers would tend to trust the human, mm -hmm. uh, I would actually tend to trust the, the system. Uh, I didn't want to trust the idiot in the control room that was under a lot of pressure. Right. Uh, so it was interesting, you know, it's interesting to think about the differences between those scenarios and how that applies to, um, to trust more generally than to robotics. I wonder how computer savvy you are, if that makes a difference. Because yeah, if, if, you, if you hate computers and you have to check email and you loathe it and that's all you have to do. Yeah. Uh, the, this the, computer there must be studies on what sort of personality traits lead to greater or lesser trust. 
um, which I don't have my Well, is it personality test. traits or is it more of maybe a nature and rearing and previous experiences kind of situation? Yes. I, I mean, I don't know. I suspect that it's more complex than that mm -hmm. um, if you begin to look at sort of how humans sort of make sense of information and, and make decisions. Right. But certainly intuitively you would have thought that millennials and, and younger that have been brought up with tech yes. around them. But I don't know, I, I've been proven wrong so many times that that could be sort of talking out of, I don't know, not my mouth. <laughs> but it also, it also could be in 10 years you'll be right because, you know, right. I, I have a six-year-old and the idea that computers can't speak to you and you can't speak back, like it's never, it's never been a thing, whereas to us it's still, this is a new right. brave yes. thing and I, don't, I, I stare at it distrustfully, whereas, you know, that's just normal to them. So maybe in 10 years it'll be... The computer's right. Yeah, right, right, right. We'll a lot of people also make reference to Japan, of course. That's yeah. the, that's yes, the, the yes. common you know, line of thought. And say, you know, well, the Japanese attitude towards robotics is so markedly different. Uh, look at that. But in fact, people have done some studies more recently revealing that the Japanese approach to robotics, at least at the common level, is, is not all you know, dissimilar to... Uh, to you know the American attitude or the Australian attitude. Oh, that's so interesting. As I think about the co-robots in Japan that are designed to be like um, like pets, right? Didn't mm -hmm. they have like a? Oh, the, you got the seal. What's, What's the name? The, of the seal. seal. That's right. Yes. I want to say yeah. dolphin, but remember that seal, and it yeah. was designed for uh, elderly yeah. people yeah. who yes. may be socially isolated and such. And it seems to me that that is totally not an American thing, right? Right. It, or impulse or reflex, right, right. yeah. It's all, I mean, part of the question is whether it's even right to think in terms of trust. Right. Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when we use the word trust, it's a, it's a loaded term, right? It's, it's an inherently uh, philosophical term, I right. believe. Right. I'm biased as a philosopher. I was going to say that's the philosophy. Uh, oh, see, so now I just <laughs> identified, self-identified. Yes, giving myself as, away. But, as an uh, engineer, I'd like to quantify that. Exactly. <laughs> so I'd like a number. So Ben and I can have some very interesting conversations here, but the in the Australian space and, and also in the US space, uh, trust has been dominated by the engineers typically, right? right. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why we get a lot of talk coming up of trusted autonomous systems and there are lots of books on this topic and that's where the, the money goes that's where the research Wait, is let's done. go back to that though that trust is dominated by the engineers what do you mean by that well uh, i should also say not just engineers but social scientists as well um and not as much from the humanities side of things so mm -hmm. all the events that i go to are you know as a as an ethicist interested in how to influence engineering uh are about trust and building trust between you know mm -hmm. humans and machines and such mm -hmm. but the question for me is always well can you really build trust uh, in anything non-human uh, and I've been trying to advance the concept of tolerance instead oh. um, and I think this is partly linked to a little bit of what I regard as fear-mongering by some of the, the, the leading experts in the robotics space. Uh, I can see where this is leading. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yes. And uh, if you feel that there's this, you know, sentient sort of killer robot is on the horizon, mm -hmm. then you might be more inclined to talk trust right, as a right. more human sort of concept. So what do you mean by tolerance? So uh, tolerance, I mean, I, the thing is, you know, humans will tolerate their technological displacement right up till a certain point right right, okay. right. Um, 
and I think that gets important. And tolerance, you know, can, comes in many different um, forms. It can be we might talk economic tolerance, we might talk social tolerance, right, right, um, right. whatever it may be, moral tolerance in right, terms of right. limits. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually came to this uh, this topic uh, looking at the work of the the Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, actually mm-hmm. of all right, of okay, all people, yes. who was yeah. a very prominent um, philosopher of technology. Right. Yes. And, uh, and, of course, the man that went to live out in the woods. But he had these rather dramatic ideas about um, how people become alienated um, when faced with technology and how they have an innate need to engage in this sort of power process to be, um, to be engaged and have some sort of influence over there, the world and their surroundings. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we, we start to be uh, separated from that power process, it, we start to face a lot of issues and that made me start to think of this concept of tolerance and how it links to philosophers all the way back to Nietzsche and uh, Jacques Allal and uh, some of the French philosophers of technology and things like that. Right, Mm -hmm. right. So uh, that makes a lot more sense to me than trust. Trust to me sounds too artificially black and white. You trust, you Mm. don't trust. I totally disagree. Right. Yeah, I'm well, because well, sometimes you need to. You need right, to. Right. Do I take this information or not? Right. Yeah. I, I guess sometimes you do, but I suspect that quite a lot of people actually either avoid that situation or that just doesn't naturally occur. So I, mean, I would probably use the term elasticity. I mean, sort of drawing yes. on the, the Economist, mm-hmm. but the same idea that you've sort of got some sort of sort of tolerance with how you make sense of information, how you respond to it, how you sort of evaluate it in terms of level of. of Usefulness and, and trustworthiness in terms of what you do. So, from an AI perspective, though, you don't always have that ability to go back and, and check the reasoning. So, you might have some AI machine, that, that deep learning system that is looking for anomalous network traffic, is looking to see if that thing you've just downloaded is malware. Right. And it will say, yes, it is. And you go, why? And it goes, don't know. It's anomalous compared with previous things that I, I already right, understand. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, but why? Don't know. So, right. you can't go back and explain it. So there's a whole new set of research coming out of mostly DARPA mm-hmm. uh, and a few other places that are looking for explainable AI. Sure. So yes, basically yes. you can understand the reasoning because you know, a, a certain number of predictors presented anomalous compared with previous data sets is not good enough. Right, so right. it's one of those interesting so, things. So it, and I'm sort of familiar with that, that sort of um, angst-ridden sort of area where people are trying to sort of work out how these new systems are making their decisions. But of course, I mean, this is what the human brain does. I mean, I sometimes feel we fool ourselves into thinking that we can rationally understand the human brain. But many of the things we do are still opaque. Um, All the decisions we make, the way we sort of interpret our surroundings. Gut instinct is a real thing, right? Right, 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 right. right. So actually, the irony is we're actually used to living in an uncertain world Mm -hmm. where we can't actually definitively say why and how things happen. Well, and so there's this reflex then, this human, humans are drawn to organize things, right? And so we classify things, we classify people that are so complex, right, and and inherently unexplainable by the knowledge that we as people have. And so we try to classify along, okay, we can make this dichotomy here and this dichotomy here, and we try to classify all of our human systems into, you know, hierarchical structures and such. We like patterns, we like... Yes, we do like patterns. The the engineers have tried to test this out. so some of the, the experts working on uh, human-robot teaming uh, have 
taken the robots and tried to put indicators on those robots, right? So it may be as simple as them putting a red light on the back of, a, uh, say, an autonomous vehicle used by army troops to carry, um, carry supplies and such. Uh, and that red light, you know, on each corner of the vehicle perhaps likes it well, just like an indicator on a car, okay? Right. And does that influence, you know, and they look at, does that influence the way that they, uh, they trust, and I right, use that, right. that yes. trust yes. in scare quotes, yes. Yes. do they trust that system? Um, and then the question is, if we, you know, strap an iPad to the back of a robot and provide more complex indicators of that. Right. how does uh, that change that, things, yes. Yeah, how does that change yes. things? And it does make a difference, but that's still, that when we think about trust in that side of that kind of environment, we're thinking is the trope the robot operating in the way that we expect? Yeah, and that's a very engineering sort of yeah. way of putting it right. So, I and I want to get back to your point that you think that sometimes, maybe all times, there is black and white between trust and distrust. Mm -hmm. But just leading on from that, it, it strikes me that the trust must be context dependent. Mm -hmm. yes. So, I, for instance, a, a very simple example: you're sitting in a self driving vehicle and um, car is driving itself there's a bend coming up um, do you trust the car to follow the bend or not um, chances are if you're used to it probably yes the, uh, the uh, vehicle is driving along and you see a, a two-year-old toddler run out in front of it do you trust it not to hit it it's a very different circumstance mm -hmm. and maybe maybe while you trust the car to go around the bend you wouldn't have so much trust in it not killing that child. I guess it's based on previous experience as well. Like trust is right. earned over time is the same thing as the right. people, right? right? You know, I, I know that Bob from accounting is an idiot because I've had issues with Bob in the past. Right. Whereas, you know, Sam from accounting, he's fine. So it's it's one of the same things with the, with the car. Like I've seen that car go around that bend a million times. It, I think yeah. it, it might be, but I think it's also qualifying trust. And this may sort of hint a little bit of what yes. you're talking about with, with to tolerance. So you trust but only to a certain extent, and you think mm -hmm. of the consequences. So, okay, if the car doesn't go around the bend, you trusted it, but if it if that trust is false, okay, not a big deal. Yeah. But if it hits the child, it's a huge deal. That's if, I mean, again, the reason I'm thinking tolerance is yes. because I, I, I think of uh, as trust as an inherently human concept. So the, the autonomous car example is a very, you know, very interesting one because, of course, I mentioned earlier Elon Musk and there are a bunch of others that are working on another, uh, other car manufacturers that are working on these highly autonomous vehicles. Um, but to what extent are they highly autonomous? And mm -hmm. it sort of goes back actually to our trust, our trust in the engineering sense of the word in the system because we don't know how much is happening. In the same way, we don't know the limits of artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. right. And it sort of goes back to really classical philosophical problems like uh, you know, the, the Turing test and mm -hmm. Searle's uh, Chinese room argument and things like this. And uh, what, is it, what does it mean to be uh, a human almost? And what does it mean to be a robot and right. such? Yeah. So podcast listeners will remember that Andrew has ridden in an autonomous vehicle, a fully autonomous vehicle. Yes, I should ask, I have wow. either of you had that opportunity. No, I had no. the luxury. Yeah, we've, right. seen, we've seen the Uber ones around. Oh, yes. yes. So we happen yeah. to have the luxury of being the hotbed of <laughs> right. real world autonomous vehicle testing. So, what have we got? Yeah. At least three, at four three, groups? I think there's three now. The so, we have the, yes. the Uber Volvos, yes, and then we the have Waymo, Waymo, yes. And Clark just saw a third one. I thought there were a couple of other experimental ones on the road. Yeah. Side. Yes. But 
with one of the things, you know, you just said you trust without knowing what the inputs are, but your experience, Andrew, was that you could see what the inputs are. So, so this is, but this is really interesting. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I would have used the, the word trust. I, I trusted that, that vehicle, but actually yes. I think tolerance and qualified trust make more sense. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting because I interpreted my surroundings in a very human way. Um, I, my sense was that um, the car felt safer to me than a human driver. So my benchmark yes. was a human and human behavior, and I was seeing everything through what I expected of human behavior. Mm -hmm. right. Now that falls apart if you've got something which is totally not human making the decisions. Right. Yeah, I think it comes down to what is it that you're trusting. You have trust that the, that the system is operating the way it's designed. Right. But uh, I think what happens is when, when people start uh, with some of the, you know, the slightly scary talk about autonomous vehicles that we've seen in the media over the last right. couple of years, yeah. um, it takes away from the fact that the human engineers, uh, the role of the human engineers, I guess. Right. So when you're trusting that that vehicle will operate as it should, we're trusting that the, you know, the hundreds or thousands of programmers that have input the lines of code have done their job correctly and right, the people yes. have tested it right. Mm -hmm. yep. um, so I think that's really, that gets to behind it. The, the issue is that yeah, when, we, when we start talking high-level AI, we, we obscure the role of the humans involved in that AI. Right. And I think that's a major problem when we talk responsibility gaps and things like I, that. Yes. Agreed, yes. absolutely. Yes. 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 yes, That's something we talk about a lot here, is what is the designer's role, yes. right, in uh, anticipatory governance yeah. and ethics, and yeah. So, so one of the, the interesting analogs there is, I, so there's an awful lot of talk about um, responsibility and autonomy with um, AI based systems. But of course if you take any complex system, so you take the electricity grid for instance, yeah. there's no one person or no one entity that is 100% responsible for success or failure there. It's a complex system that can be thrown completely out of kilter right. by one small decision. So this, in, in a sense, this isn't something that's, that's new that we're having to deal with. Um, and it's really intriguing to work out what is fundamentally different with some of the emerging technologies as opposed to what is just an evolution from the really complex systems we're already dealing with. Right, so I mean, um, I was in another life a naval officer as well, and right. the common example used there is obviously the, the USS Vincennes accident, right? Mm -hmm. Whereby an Iranian airliner was, uh, was shot down uh, in uh, horrible circumstances whereby an operator and the, the, the principal warfare, warfare officer at the time uh, couldn't balance the information that they were receiving right. from mm -hmm. a, what they called an automated system, but was in fact a semi-automated system. Mm -hmm. um, the question is, yeah, to what extent has that changed? Has that general problem, the problem of many hands, right? Ha right. Has that yes. changed? Yes. I don't think it's changed a great deal. Um, there are more hands. Don't get me wrong. There right. are more yeah. hands. And some of those hands are virtual hands, right? Because exactly. it's through, it goes I, I, through. I was going to say it's, it's, it's like the movie sort of it's a ghost where you sort of suddenly you find another set of hands. Yeah, yeah. Of, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. it might be pre-filtered by an AI. It might be. Right. I mean, the other thing about AI is it's only as good as the data that's been given, both right. now and in the past. That's right. right. Yes. So yes. at some point, somebody might be saying, "Well, I designed parts of this system that might have made the wrong." Issue, but, yes. but but yeah, it's it's based on a data feed that was slightly corrupted by this mm -hmm. particular cheap system that we had, or it got dust on a sensor, or some other use case that just wasn't considered, and yes. yeah, so it's yeah. not it's, it's garbage in, garbage out. Right, yeah. right, yes. Well, I think AI presents a really interesting sort of new case for 
um, the the normal accidents paradigm, right? With Perot, are you familiar with this? That um, the risk associated with any kind of technological system is related to how tightly coupled the uh, components of the system are and how complex the system is. And, you know, with less tight coupling and more complexity comes more inherent risk. Well, and I, more yeah. tight coupling because you have propagation. Oh, more, yes, 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 pardon yes. me. More t yes. I'm backwards. Um, yes, more tight coupling, yes. more complexity, yes. more risk. And I think that AI, now he wrote that in, you know, 30 right. years ago. But here's, so here's the challenge. Um, so you, you mentioned the, the speculations about sort of runaway AI. So yes, we're building these really complex systems, mm -hmm. really tightly coupled. Mm -hmm. So sort of small things that happen in one part of the system propagate really rapidly yes. through. Yes. And so you can see the temptation to extrapolate out and say, surely this means that one day we've got an existential risk there. Mm -hmm. How do you damp that down? So I, I, I'm with you. I, I get really worried about the, these speculations. And I think yes. not only are they irresponsible, but they fundamentally don't, um, or they, they misrepresent the, the nature of exponential growth. Yes. Um, but how do you damp down those and, and sort of cap them with realistic expectations? Yeah, I, look, I, I referenced the problem of many hands. I don't think we're ever going to get to the problem of having no hands, okay? okay. And that's essentially what they're talking about, right? right. It's the yeah, problem yeah. of no hands. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't think that's the case. Um, I think the way to avoid this sort of this sort of slightly unhelpful conversation is to just more tightly focus our political discussion and not be swayed. I, when I think of Elon Musk, and you'll have to excuse me, it might be sound a little uh, conspiracy theorist of me, but... Uh, but it's okay, but you're leaving the country after this. <laughs> yes, exactly, I'm safe. Or are you? So long as I don't get an Uber or something on the way back to the airport. Um, you know, a lot of these, the big figures behind this, uh, you know, pushing this fear of artificial intelligence are, you know, the Elon Musks of the world mm -hmm. and uh, Hawking and people like this. Mm -hmm. um, with Musk in particular, I think to myself, okay, Elon Musk, you're building these amazing, you know, autonomous cars, okay? Mm -hmm. um, is this merely a distraction tactic, a diversion, right? right? Uh, and it would be very clever business. Um, it would be very clever business uh, because the biggest risks we have are where humans are more directly involved. Right. And yeah, of course, that's always the always the way. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I, I fear that yeah, again. I fear that these conversations are merely a distraction from what we really ought to be focusing on. Sure. And from my perspective, the only way we can really fix this problem is to make sure that at all times we're focusing at how the human, mm -hmm. uh, how the human interacts with the robot at a basic level. It's the the fundamental knowledge it hasn't changed a great deal from my perspective. It's getting more complicated though. Well, to me, it's confusing because Elon Musk, like, SpaceX would not exist. You know, Tesla would not exist without without these technologies that he's also right. mm -hmm. worried about. But at the same time, like, it's amazing watching a rocket land itself and be reused. It and is that's actually yeah. going to be so, the future. So. Yeah. So, so I think I mean, if you look at the whole sort of. Elon Musk phenomenon, and it isn't just Elon Musk, you've got Jeff Bezos and, and others in yeah. this space. Um, it is really complex and really fascinating because these are people that have got the imagination and ability to take what was science fiction and what inspired them as science fiction and, and mm -hmm. make it reality, yeah. uh, without a doubt. And yet, you look at Elon Musk, he's also raising these really complex and interesting existential questions. And I actually, I, to, to give him credit, I think he is seriously interested in these questions. Mm -hmm. uh, but the 
there's got to be that that business connection as well. And in fact, he's uh, yes. effectively sort of said that he wants to use artificial intelligence. He wants to develop it. He seems he wants to see it develop, but he wants to make sure that this isn't a dangerous pathway that, that we follow. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, what about was it two weeks ago that Facebook killed an AI because it had developed its own language? Oh uh, yeah, that's, that's happened a couple of times now. I think. Oh, it's, has it? Yeah, yeah. It's um. Yeah, and because they can't understand it, they, they got worried because it's, it's sitting there figuring out how to communicate with itself. Yeah. Right. To me, the interesting one was a couple of weeks, a few weeks before that, there was the Microsoft one that was training on data. It was, a, it was a chatbot, and it was training on data, and then it ended up becoming incredibly biased. And actually, they, they killed it because it started becoming racist because the training data it was given right. was, be, was actually terrible. And so again, it comes back to this thing of they couldn't take that out. They basically mm -hmm. had to wipe all the data and all the learning and start again because mm -hmm. the data set they were producing from was tainted in a way that, and I guess that's an interesting thing because right. you have these human biases that you don't even think about. That that's right. right. We've talked about algorithmic bias. Yes. And it's interesting to, you know, even in an algorithm that maybe, maybe it was designed with all of the love and care and attention, intention to not have racial bias, right? But then, um, I mean, is that intrinsic to human behaviors and humans are designing algorithms or so, is so, that, did that so just propagate because I mean, you, of the training data? You, you look at the whole sort of theory and knowledge base of human bias. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know that we're deeply flawed in terms of our ability to sort of logically reason and, mm -hmm. and interpret our surroundings. So that has got to be encapsulated in the things that, that we do. It's, it's very hard to mm -hmm. avoid that. So I guess we need AIs building AIs. Mm. Yeah, but, but even that, even they taint it, right? Yeah. <laughs> not sure that's the solution. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> not sure that's the solution. So, so on the other hand, I think that, that machine learning and AI will, will make life better. Like right. Yeah. You know, like yeah. Again, like we, we don't have to have a person guiding a rocket back to Earth. Well, we can guide a rocket back to Earth, and it can do it thinking of its own. We can have a car that doesn't need a human. We can have mm. instead of. Yeah, the, the discussion that we were here for this week was cybersecurity professionals, and we just don't have enough. We need right. three right. million. Well, we can have maybe one million and two million AIs, and that can help us, right? They don't have to do everything, but they can do some of it. So, sorry, go no, ahead. No, well, so what I was going to say is, so I, I, there's a really large part of me that gets very excited about what we can do. Um, and the thing that I can't wrap my head around is the discussions around risk, and this comes to the, the existential risks. Um, I don't understand how to bound those, and I and I fear that we go off a tangent. So you look at someone like Stephen Hawking; he goes off a tangent because he has no concept of how to bound those those discussions. Yes. And I have no idea how to either. Mm -hmm. and, and this, to me, is the fundamental problem because you can imagine scenarios where we develop artificial intelligences and artificial intelligence-based systems, which are complementary to humans. The, the, there is no chance of them actually superseding humans. Right. But how do we make sure that that's a bounded conversation so we don't go off into fantasy land? They've, look, there are a couple of possible approaches here. Um, the people that, uh, that I am uh, cynical of, of and a bit critical of uh, have put forward a, a code of ethics, right, essentially, or is essentially a code of ethics. You're um, not talking about the Future of Life Institute, are you? And others, and right. others. <laughs> uh, I don't want to single anybody out, but uh, there are certain groups that have put forward codes of ethics uh, for people, for members to sign on to, yes. such that they just will not work on these these technologies, right? Yeah. Now, again, I think that's counterproductive. I think what would be more useful here is uh, to enact some kind of law which holds the, the key stakeholders in the design of these technologies much more responsible right. 
for their individual contributions. Yes. Because while we cannot avoid the problem of many hands, mm -hmm. um, we can make sure that there is something there to hold uh, individuals responsible and accountable, even if it's only for a, a very minor contribution. And if suddenly uh, th there are already laws surrounding that, right? Product design rules and, uh, right. and laws right. about consumer responsibility and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but they don't quite go far enough, and I think that's where we need the revision. Because if the engineers and the, you know the programmers and the other designers involved uh, know that they'll be held personally personally liable mm -hmm. for an error that they make, and not just their company. That takes things to a whole new level. And I, I, I must yeah. point out for American yeah. listeners, things are so much easier in Australia. Conversations <laughs> <laughs> like well, this. so right. <laughs> so how well that America Australia question I think raises for me that this is a legal and policy space that fundamentally transcends national boundaries yes. and legal boundaries because that's the way that we organize law and policy is by national right. you know separation so where would law and policy sit around this quite right um very difficult to say. I mean, obviously, international regulation here would probably be favourable, but or, that's just not going to happen. Agreements. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, mm -hmm. so actually, we have a long history of international agreements. Maybe not rock-solid um, regulation, which will stand up in a court of law, but, but certainly there is a, a history of agreements and, and standards and practices which do transcend boundaries. Mm -hmm. um, and they're not codes of ethics. They're, they're things that people are held accountable to with what they do. From a technical perspective, I think it would be difficult because there are so many levels of removal. Mm -hmm. Somebody yeah. in the Ukraine writes a library that is interesting that they use it for, for mm -hmm. cataloging their songs yes. and then somebody else takes that and then adds to it and then does something else and then somebody else adds to it and then somebody decides to incorporate that into a new system that then gets incorporated into another system. Mm -hmm. And so that is and, a challenge. And so yes. at what, who is responsible and That's can right. anybody I, be but, responsible? But now from, from a, a legal and a policy perspective, you can begin to draw lines. So you can actually yes. say that the, the manufacturers of the components aren't responsible but for the people that put them together in certain configurations, you end up sort of going up the responsibility ladder. But, but I mean, we, nobody would take personal responsibility that your copy of Windows is error-free because no. they, they would be going to prison very quickly. So it's a very, <laughs> but, very right, interesting but, but, thing. But that there are analogies. So I, you're, you're right. When you've got cyber systems where um, international boundaries, geo boundaries don't make much sense, it gets much harder. But you even look at the manufacturer of a car, the thousands of parts that are manufactured from all, all over the world and come together. So something malfunctions in that car and it crashes and injures somebody who's liable. That's right. It's, it, it's, it's a similar level of complexity in mm -hmm. terms of all the different things that have gone into that. But at the end of the day, somebody has to be held liable somewhere. Usually. Well, we've seen that happen just recently, right? right. With the Tata airbags and yes. millions million of cars. Right, yes. so, That's right, um, And in that case, this is getting a bit far from uh, autonomous systems, but in that case, I think it's a clear example of how if this company has to fix that, that all those airbags, it's going to go bankrupt probably. Right. Um, it just can't do it. Uh, even for such a large company like Tata, it, it just, it's beyond reason. Mm -hmm. um, so something needs to change there on the policy right. or legal side, right? right? Yes. And to yes. make sure that those things are stopped earlier on, even if yes. it is more burdensome. So from a technical perspective, it may be that uh, we need like a version control system or something mm -hmm. on steroids mm -hmm. that we need a black box the equivalent of a black box that records all the key inputs and the, the question right. is 
Where, what key inputs, obviously we can't record everything, which right. key inputs do we need, need to record? And that's where the policy makers can come but in. But this actually brings us back to um, autonomous decision making, which is somewhere towards the beginning of the, the yes. conversation. So this all works if there is some human somewhere in the chain that has done something or made a decision. What do you do when you've got an autonomous system that has made decisions that are opaque to humans that That's have right. led to some and, sort of... And some of those things, they're, they're kind of self-organising and they, they learn from their own decision-making. And so it's really right. the, the decision they made was actually incredibly sensible with the data they had, but it was nine decisions ago there was a problem. So, so now there are still humans in the loop, exactly. but mm -hmm. it's virtually impossible to assign blame. Those humans, because you really I, can't yeah. see. I have to really disagree with that. <laughs> right, um, okay. I very strongly so. Uh, I really hate it when people say that. No offense. <laughs> <laughs> because, sure, you're exactly, you are right, of course, that it is so difficult <laughs> to assign, mm -hmm. to assign blame. But, you know, there is no system in existence today that doesn't have a human in the loop somewhere. Right. It's how far the human is removed from that loop, right? Mm -hmm. And, because those systems exist today doesn't mean that we can't go back and disassemble them. We may not be able to find the person responsible for an error in that particular system, mm -hmm. but we can take action today to stop similar systems from coming into existence. And I, I, I hear this all too often, people saying, well, wait, the person is just far too removed from the loop to be able to do anything about I, it. It would be interesting to, to really test this. So I, I, yeah. I think you're right that at some level you can see some level of decision making that has led to the, the outcomes mm -hmm. that, that are observed. At the same time, it does worry me, even at a fairly simple level, if you've got autonomous systems that are learning in ways that, that people can't understand and then and learning ways that lead to actions which are very, very hard to attribute. And I'm still yes. not quite sure that we can take a deterministic approach and untangle that and work out sort of how the, the outputs are connected to the inputs. Well, I guess it, the thing is for me is if you're going to hold the people that make the software accountable and the software does occasionally mess up, but you know, it's, it's going to happen, there are only certain percentages of false positives and negatives. But do you hold the people accountable that would otherwise be doing that job the software is? Because they might, the software might be better than the human. Like, to me, that is the, mm -hmm. that is the bar. And who makes that judgment? Yes. Yeah, so. so. Well. Okay, well, I think we, we just opened up a whole big <laughs> box and of uh, yeah. mess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and welcome back anytime. It's only, what, how long did it take you to get here? 19 hours or something like 24 that? 24 by the 24. time. 24 this time, yes. We, we got to sit on a tarmac and watch the tarmac dim with the, uh, the eclipse. We didn't actually get to see the eclipse. Oh, but we, oh. yeah, but yeah, we got stuck in the plane. That's, that's good. All right, very Pleasure good. Well, thank you very much for coming, and let's continue this in the future. Thank you so thank much you. for having us. Thank you. For more where that came from, check out the School for the Future of Innovation and Society at sfis.asu.edu. Future Out Loud is produced with the support of the School for the Future of Innovation and Society and the Risk Innovation Lab at ASU. Mark Van Hare created our music. Esmeralda Parker is our production assistant. Our website is futureoutloud.org. Subscribe to Future Out Loud on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get your fine podcasts.